0: You know I'm a big fan of enjoying life while still being smart financially. That's why I love ButcherBox. I can get a variety of high-quality meat, seafood, chicken, and pork at an amazing value, all with exclusive member deals delivered to my door with free shipping always. One thing I just never wanted to cut out of my spending plan is eating good food. And with ButcherBox, I don't have to, and neither do you. Where else can you get free protein for a whole year? Yes, you heard that right. One of my favorite go-to dinners is a salmon bowl. I'm not even a huge salmon lover, but ButcherBox's wild-caught salmon is oh so good. I make a nice little marinade, sauté some veggies, cook the salmon, and throw in some rice, And it is an amazing dinner. J O I N D E L E T E M E dot com slash etm. Go to joindeleteme dot com slash etm and use code etm for twenty percent off. I want to introduce you to my dad. His name's Stan. He's seventy eight years old. He's got rock and gray hair. He has never known a stranger. He will literally go up and talk to anybody. He grew up in rural Indiana. He was born in 1940 in a really interesting time in in history and in U.S. history, and he's seen a lot. He's also been kind of a legend in the financial service industry. He's been in the industry for well over 40 years, and that means he's got a lot of knowledge to drop on us. I'm Shauna Compton-Game. This is Millennial Money, and today we're talking money wisdom from my dad, because he's pretty smart. Money with Shauna Compton. Game. It will expand your brain. We have this really interesting thing in our family where I have, or had, I should say, before I got married, the same initials that my dad did. We all have the same amount of letters in our first name. I know that's really bizarre. So I have the same initials as my dad, my mom and brother have the same initials, and I guess that's just their way of kind of having fun with our names and with our family. But the odd thing is, is that I came out a lot like my dad and my brother came out a lot like my mom. Not that we don't have traits from each of the other parent, but I would say that I'm probably more like my dad, and my brother's probably more like my mom. So I guess you could say that it probably makes sense that I would end up in the financial industry. Uh, It's certainly not something I ever thought I would do as a kid. I can remember sitting around the kitchen table and my dad talking about money, reading the Wall Street Journal, talking about clients. I mean, that's been my entire life. He's been in the industry long before I was born, even. And so, you know, I grew up with kind of this financial awareness, understanding economics, understanding how the world works. And even if I didn't know the, the you know, finite details of finance, I at least have some vocabulary for it. And so, you know, this bizarre twist of fate that sometimes happens in life, I ended up partnering up with my dad after I got my MBA quite, quite a few years ago. We're going 12, 13 years ago now. And we just kind of looked at each other and said, well, should should we work together? And it's been so amazing. He's been such a mentor for me in my career. And even now, as I develop all of these really cool, creative offshoots of financial planning and of all the different projects that I that I want to do, that I'm working on doing, even things that don't even involve financial planning... You know, it's it's my dad and me because he is the same person, super creative, sees things outside of the box. And like I said in the intro, he has absolutely never known a stranger. He will go up and talk to just about anybody and it is the most amazing trait, but it also can be quite annoying, let's be honest, right? <laughs> uh, I don't quite have that ability to be able to just talk to anybody, so it definitely is uh, you know, something that that he was born with. But when I was thinking about this episode, I thought, you know, he's got all this wisdom of growing up, what his own money journey was like, what money was like when he was in his 20s and 30s versus what it's like now. And I thought, you know what? Let's pick dad's brain. Let's see what dad would say to you and, and what advice would he give you about your finances, about the things that he thinks that you should be aware of after working with, I mean, thousands and thousands of clients and certainly going through his own life with money ups and downs and all sorts of things that that tend to happen. So my dad is also one of the biggest Millennial Money fans. He loves what we're doing here. He loves the community that we're creating, the tribe, everybody kind of rallying around, you know, wanting to have the vision of life that you want to live, you know, how powerful that, that concept is. So I hope you enjoy this super special podcast with money wisdom from my dad. Okay. So I have a very special guest on this podcast. Probably the reason, whole reason I actually doing this podcast, my dad, which is AKA Stan for the listeners. So how's it, how's it going today, dad? Really great. Awesome. A lot going on. A lot going on. That's good. Um, I thought this would be a fun episode to do because you're quite a bit older than me and some of the listeners. And you've seen so many different things in your lifetime, money, politics, world. I mean, uh, can you imagine that we are walking around with cellular devices in our pockets?
1: It is hard to believe. (laughs) I know.
0: I can imagine that it would be quite weird. And I think... Of something I I know we haven't talked a ton about, but I think it would be fun to kind of start off this episode. Um, I know you grew up with parents who lived through the Depression. You grew up in kind of, at the time, was rural Indiana. And I'd love to just hear, you know, how did that impact kind of your own money story and journey when you were a kid growing up, having parents that lived through that?
1: Well, there were several things that That I would say had an impact. One, my parents uh, lived through the Depression, and it was pretty darn ugly. My father did not work for eight years during the Depression. My mother worked as a beautician, and it wasn't until after she died that we found some of her records and realized that during the Depression, she only made $1 per day. Wow. (laughs) And pretty low. And on on top of that, my parents were so poor, they could not afford to raise my two sisters, which were 14 years older than I. My mother had a daughter by a previous marriage. My father had a daughter by a previous marriage.
0: Very scandalous.
1: (laughs) Yeah, very much so. And um, they had to farm them out to the grandparents because they could not afford to feed or clothe them during the Depression. So that left quite an impact. What I noticed from my parents, even though I didn't live through the Depression, is that my father would never change jobs for fear of not getting another one. So he worked for one company for 28 years after the Depression. And my mother became a hoarder of food since there was such a scarcity during the Depression, she wanted to never be without food.
0: Interesting. So those are things like that you you vividly remember, and I would imagine those had an impact, kind of how you thought about money even as a as a young kid.
1: Uh, They did, and uh, the other thing that had an impression was that I actually was I can remember when I was four and five years old, the World War II was going on, and there was severe rationing, and so we had these little coupons that allowed us to only buy so much bread or so much flour, so much sugar, and so much gasoline during the war. And so that actually did have a big impact on me.
0: Wow. Yeah, I can imagine that, you know, I've not lived through anything like that. And I imagine most people haven't. So that would have a kind of dramatic impact on on how you thought about things. Um and interesting you brought up that that my grandma, your mom, uh ran a beauty store and I mean that was kind of revolutionary back there back then wasn't it that that women were owning a business even though she wasn't making a ton of money she was still running her own show.
1: Yeah, it was pretty revolutionary at the time.
0: Yeah, I think that's pretty cool. Um and i know obviously um since you've been alive longer than i have that's usually the way that works um you know you've personally and through working with clients uh, you know friends all sorts of things you know that money ebbs and flows and i think the the kind of um a misnomer or myth i guess that a lot of people talk about when they write articles about money nowadays or they talk about money especially for the younger generation is that you know, you graduate college, you get a job and everything just goes on the up and up. And that isn't always the case. You know, I think from, from what you've seen, if you can impart some wisdom on us, you know, how can people prepare? How can somebody in their twenties and thirties prepare for the fact that their money is going to ebb and flow in life? Before we get into all the juicy bits, a quick word from our podcast episode sponsor. Okay. All kidding aside, I love to learn. Like, I don't just like to learn. I love learning new things. And I think that's actually what I love about podcasting and listening to podcasts is that it's a complete learning experience to be able to open up my ideas to you and to listen to new ideas in a space that, you know, honestly, a decade ago wouldn't have been available to us. So whenever my passion for something new swells, which it does quite often, I got a place that I turn to. It's a great learning tool called Udemy. Udemy. They have over 65,000 courses. Basically, anything you want to learn about, Udemy is the largest space for online learning. And I'm currently taking a class called Your Big Book Deal from a super cool teacher. She's written and ghostwritten over 30 books, so she knows her stuff. I'm learning a lot, and she's making my book proposal look pretty amazing. Udemy has something for everyone. Seriously, whatever you want to learn about on any device, Udemy gives me access to new knowledge wherever I'm at you need to check out Udemy. They've helped students literally all over the world improve with their skills, their careers, and their lives. So the question is, what do you want to learn about? They even helped me set up this exclusive offer just for you, my listeners. Go to ude.my mymoney right now and get 90% off when you sign up for classes. You will not find a better price, so sign up now for classes using my unique link, ude.my mymoney, and get access to life-changing classes for 90% off. And make sure you download their app for your phone so you can stream your course wherever you're at. That's U-D-E dot my slash my money. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited. And it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince and I am in love. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's com slash etm to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash etm. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. Okay, listen, like many of you out there, I love Notion, our sponsor today, and I honestly use it every day for my notes and journaling. I also track our family expenses, and I manage all of our household to-dos. Notion has been such a lifesaver in helping me get a lot more organized, because that's not one of my strengths, without stressing me out. Notion is a place where any team can write, plan, organize, and rediscover the joy of play. It's a workspace designed not just for making progress, but getting inspired. Notion is the AI powered workspace that can summarize things like meeting notes and automatically generate action items and help you get answers to questions in seconds. It will honestly blow your mind. Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company, you're a freelancer, you're starting a startup or you're a student juggling classes and clubs, or you're somebody like myself that just really wants to get organized. Try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash etm. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash etm, and start turning ideas into action. And when you use our link, you are supporting our show, notion.com slash etm. We've all spent more time with family lately. It can feel like old times.
1: have been shorted on, and that is, unfortunately, most of the schools and some of the colleges do not really teach economics, do not teach money management, and so, so many millennials are growing up today without the basic knowledge that they need.
0: And what just, you know, a lot of people write in and ask me about the difference between like economics and financial literacy courses, like what do you learn in an economics
1: class? Economics kind of gives you an overall view of how the economy works and what influences the economy and what happens when interest rates get too high or get too low. What happens when the government spends too much money? (laughs) We don't have to worry about them spending too little.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's not happened.
1: And so that's pretty much what economics is about. Uh,
0: And how does that have then an impact just – Uh, if you give just an example, then how does that actually like impact the individual person's money?
1: Well, what it should teach you is that we know over the long term, the stock market will return on the average somewhere between eight and 10%. And I think so many millennials today don't have a grasp on that. And so they they tend to put their money in instruments that In, like a CD, which yields them next to nothing. And on the long term, inflation will eat that small return up and they will really make no gain with their money. So they really need to put their money to work in the stock market or in real estate. And one of the easiest ways to do that is if you're working someplace that has a 401k, you should put your money in the 401k and don't touch it. And you should let the money uh, ride in a security that has an opportunity for growth and not put your money in a CD-type instrument. And then you should leave the money alone. Let it grow. Uh, Don't touch it for any purpose whatsoever. And if you do that and consciously contribute to the 401k, when it's time for retirement, you'll have a lot of money if you make Mistakes everywhere else.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of the fear, you know, that millennials have about doing that or about investing is that they lived through 2008, 2009, and maybe their parents lost jobs or maybe they lost jobs or they just saw, you know, the equivalent of feeling like investing in the stock market is a terrible, horrible thing where you're going to lose money. You know, you've lived through several market you know, ups and declines and, you know, how should somebody like rationally think about that?
1: Well, that's a very good point. Uh, In the past, it was stated that it would be very good for people to hold in some kind of a CD or bank account, six months of wages. Because of what is happening with economic cycles, today, it may be better off if you have 12 to 24 months in a savings account to allow for emergencies. For example, being laid off out of a job for a period of time. Uh, That would allow you to be in a better position to not touch your 401k savings if you get laid off. And in fact, uh, in the 1999-2000 downturn, the dot-com burst bubble, that was terrible. And it just buried a lot of people financially. And many people didn't get jobs for a while. And if they didn't have a savings, they would find themselves in deep trouble. And then again, the most recent downturn um, lasted about a long, maybe time. eight years before you really got back on top. But if you look now, looking back, and you kept your money in the market and didn't have to use that, you've gained significantly.
0: Right. So... Uh, you know, if you put it in there and you're smart and you don't touch it, it's going to go up, it's going to go down, but you're going to be way better off than, you know, what a lot of people are doing, which is just putting money in a savings account or even keeping it in their bank account, which we've seen a lot of people do, which right. is kind of scary.
1: Right, because in the market over the long term, if you leave your money invested, you should get An inflation-adjusted eight to ten percent return on your capital, and that's really what you need to grow your money. So when you retire, you'll have something to retire on,
0: hopefully, right? Yes. We kind of jumped around here, but you know, kind of going back to like ebbs and flows of money. I mean, wouldn't you you attest that almost everybody that you've worked with in a client situation or friends or whoever it may be that throughout their lifetime. There's several of these ebbs and flows. So having like an emergency fund or something like that is so important because you don't really know when it's going to come.
1: Well, you don't know when it's going to come. That's exactly correct. But you do know that it will happen. Uh, In the economy that we have, the capitalistic economy, there will be ebbs and flows, and there will be times when the economy is doing great, your stock market is doing great, and there'll be times when <laughs> you'll be suffering and you'll be very tempted to dip into your 401k or your stock portfolio. But I urge you, find someplace else to find the money.
0: So there's probably somebody listening that's saying like, okay, but why shouldn't I dip into those? I mean, I've just read a study where the place where millennials are finding the most money for their down payment for their first house is they're borrowing from their 401k or taking out from their IRA. So why does that even matter?
1: Well, it matters because compound growth over a long period of time will significantly grow your money into a large number. And if you take it out, let's say to buy a house, uh, let's say you take out $50,000 to buy a home. That $50,000 is gone as far as compounding growth in your 401k. And you can never replace it. So what you should do is save some additional funds to make that down payment, borrow money from friends or family to make that down payment. And and there are places now and companies that will even help share with you in that down payment for either the right to earn part of the equity growth in your home over a period of time, or some require you to rent room out for Airbnb. But do everything you can not to impinge upon your 401k money.
0: Right, because even though it may be like $50,000 today, if you left that $50,000 over 20, 30 years of growth, that $50,000 could be a lot more money down the line. Uh, almost with some sort of certainty.
1: Well, yes. And if you uh, look at the $50,000 and you earn 10% over the long term, every 7.2 years, that money will double. So your 50 will become 100, the 100 will become 200, the 200 will become 400, and the 400 might even become 800.
0: Just off that little $50,000. That's correct. Right. So that, that is quite powerful, That those numbers right there. Um, and that's that little, the little secret of uh, the rule of 72, right? That's correct. How does that rule work again?
1: You divide the interest that you're earning into 72. So if I was earning 10%, I would divide 10 into 72. And every 10 years, or excuse me, every 7, pardon me, every 7.2 years, my money would double 10 divided into 72 gives you a double every 7.2 years.
0: So that's like a fun little party game that people can play with their friends and, uh, and surprise them with their wisdom of that. Um, So talking about investing, are there any other advice or tips from what you've seen, uh, you know, beyond the 401k, let's say somebody is like, okay, You know, there are all these apps out now to help you start investing. Um, You know, there's all these robo-advisor companies, but still people are a little bit nervous about how do I choose things? Like, how do I even know how to pick something other than just like closing my eyes and putting my finger on something?
1: Well, you should seek out a financial advisor who can give you some guidance on what you should do with your money and where you should put your money. Uh, Real estate is another very good place to invest your money. However, it's highly illiquid. And so if you invest in, let's say, an apartment house or a piece of land and you need money in five years, it might take you six months or a year or two to sell a piece of property. And you might
0: not even get what you need.
1: That's right. So you need your cash reserve before you start investing in real estate for investment purposes. Um, and I don't consider a house, even though you may make money on your house, I don't consider that a real investment. Um, and one of the things you can do if you're starting out that's very wise and you're kind of handy is buy a fourplex, a four unit apartment house. Live in one unit, rent out the other three, and you can grow significant equity. And in fact, you'll probably make enough money off the other three to not have to pay on your own apartment.
0: And not have to Airbnb a room out of your place. (laughs)
1: That's right. (laughs) Yeah, that's right.
0: Right. That's interesting. Interesting idea. I think most people think just about buying houses or condos. They don't think about, you know, thinking about something more original like that, uh, which is really the case. And I think it's a good point, too, that your house, while it is an investment, it's certainly not an investment that you can rely on gains in that investment. So a lot of times people will say, well... I've got $500,000 in my house, that's going to be my retirement. But that's probably not a good thing to bank your retirement on.
1: No. and, And another thing that no one thinks about today, I mean, I started my first job, I think I was eight years old. I was selling Christmas cards. And I stayed employed for every year after age eight, doing something. I mean, I caddied. I sold concessions at at the basketball games and football games. Um, I cleaned toilets in a factory. I worked in a factory once I could get my work permit. And sometimes I even had two jobs. And that's another way you can come up with a down payment. If you're young and you have a lot of energy, hey, consider working a job and a half or two jobs and take the money from one job and put that in a special account and make that only for your down payment. Uh, Another thing which we didn't touch on is that once you gather enough money to provide 12 maybe to 24 months of living expenses, you should also make sure that you have enough life insurance and enough income protection insurance so that if you can't work because you're sick or you're hurt, you still have enough money coming in that you don't have to use up your reserves to support yourself.
0: So what if you're what if you're single or you're let's say in your late 20s early 30s like why in the world would you even think about life insurance at that particular age?
1: Well, the first thing you should think about is income protection insurance because obviously no matter what your age You still need income if you're sick or hurt and can't work. That's probably the first thing you should buy. The second thing you should consider is life insurance. Uh, Life insurance, most people don't understand, has some significant advantages. Today, there's a way to buy what's called index life insurance, which provides for growth in your money. And if the market goes down, you don't lose any of it. However, when you come to retirement if you've put a lot of money in this policy over 20, 30, 40 years, you could then take a tax-free income stream out of the policy and use that to supplement your retirement needs. So, it's something that you should consider also consider young and it can be very advantageous when you get old.
0: <laughs> so, how do you like what would be your advice? Like how do you figure out okay, you know, how much uh, income protection should I have? How much life insurance should I have? How much should I be putting in savings? Like, I think a lot of millennials are just really confused about, like, I've got this paycheck. What what should I do with this?
1: Well, the first thing, if it's your first job, you're going to be shocked at the taxes <laughs> that are taken out of your paycheck. Uh Shauna's brother, uh, my son, um, I can remember when he had got his first real paycheck and he came home and his first <laughs> comment was I've been robbed. <laughs> and I said, "What do you mean?" And he said, "Look at all, all the money they took away from me." And I said, "Well, get used to real life." But back to answering your question, um you should only you should buy enough income protection insurance to support your basic needs. So to pay your housing um needs to pay for food, to pay for your car payments, or any other payments that you have, generally you should buy maybe up to 60 or 65% of your income in income protection insurance. And that should be absolutely a basic type of insurance you buy because we all live off of income. And when you're young and you haven't accumulated a lot of money, it has to come from some source if you're sick or hurt and can't work. As far as how much life insurance you should buy, The rule of thumb is 5 to 10 times your earnings. However, if you are young and you're single, uh, you might consider buying a lesser face amount and buying an amount that accumulated money for you uh, that had future income options on it that allowed you to increase it later if something happened to your health.
0: Right. Uh, And a lot of companies offer some sort of benefits. So, you know, maybe your first stop should be just to check with your HR and figure out what at work you might be, um, you know, have available to you. But you can certainly purchase a lot of these things as standalones. And sometimes it's a good idea because if you leave your job, it leaves with you rather than staying at the job. Uh, So what other you know, kind of smart money moves can you think of that maybe somebody in their 20s, 30s should be thinking about, you know, at this this point in their life?
1: Well, again, uh, keep your ear to the ground. Um, Because you're probably living on the internet. No, what are you talking about? (laughs) I know. You probably are aware of companies that are starting up that appear at least to have Uh, some great opportunities for growth. So becoming aware of them, if they're public, you might, you know, don't go crazy, but you might put part of your savings that is held for investment purposes into some of those stocks that you have a personal knowledge of. And it's almost, you know, it's kind of fun. You put your money in it, then you follow the stock. And if you feel like it's getting out of favor, um, get out of it. Don't be afraid to say, oh, I made a mistake. I'm moving on.
0: What are some of the things, like even just on a kind of basic level, like someone has never invested in a stock before, if they're trying to like evaluate a company without really knowing very much, what are like something they should be looking at? Are there particular numbers they should be looking at? Or is there something sort of simplistic they can look at to go, other than i know of this company like whether this is healthy company not healthy company
1: well again i think you should speak with a financial advisor and get as much information from them as you can you may not have enough money for them to handle it for you but it might be worth your time to pay them 2 or 3 or 4 or 600 dollars whatever it costs to just get some advice from them so you don't go crazy on what you invest in And um, in the beginning, you probably should put most of your money in things that are likely to be around long-term and grow long-term, like consumer products. They're pretty boring, but we all use them. And most of them pay a pretty good dividend. Like
0: tissues and toilet paper and that kind of stuff, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, baby diapers. <laughs> baby diapers, <laughs> yeah. yep.
0: We're going to always use those no matter what happens. Right. Yeah, rather than, you know, like, oh, hey, I, you know, I mean, obviously we've seen what happened to Facebook in the last couple of weeks. But, you know, some of the hot internet companies, they can be at risk of these kind of like extreme ebbs and flows. And I know you've you've certainly seen that over your own investing timeline.
1: It sure is. The uh, dot-com burst cost us a lot of money.
0: Right. So it can look shiny and glossy, but, you know, and just be aware that even when you are stock investing, even with all the knowledge you have, it's still a little bit like going to Vegas, right? You know, if so you need to be prepared if you lost a percentage of that money that you'd still be okay. That isn't your rent money.
1: Right. And again, you need to look at that as a long-term investment. Right. But get out if things change significantly.
0: Yeah, and don't be afraid to to get out.
1: <laughs> right.
0: Um, so I'd love to talk a little bit about, you know, the differences. I think this would be interesting insight. You know, when you were in your twenties, early thirties, you know, what can you kind of recall as some of the differences between how money was viewed then, how people dealt with money versus what you see today.
1: Well, when I was in my 20s and 30s, there wasn't much money available for anything. Uh, my first job, I think I was making a whole $150 a week as a sales manager at a company. And you can't do it. Even back then, you couldn't do a lot with $150, although... I was completely debt free. I paid everything off. Uh, there were not many credit cards at that time, but I kept my balances at zero. I had paid my car, uh, cards off. I paid my car off, uh, I had some money in a savings account. But again, I think money is much more fluid today and there are many more opportunities that you can be aware of where it might make sense. To invest a little money but again make sure that you always have your fallback money or maybe six months to 24 months of cash reserve so that if you are unemployed or if the market just gets really ugly and you're tempted to take money off the table you don't have to do that unless it really makes sense and in that you're invested in companies that uh are liable to go bankrupt. But again, when I was in my 20s and 30s, there were not many opportunities for growth like there is today. And things were much more practical in that most of the stocks sold for anywhere between 12 and 16 times their earnings ratio, uh, which is known as the PE ratio. Today, you have some of the internet stocks selling for hundred 200 times the earnings ratio and and some multiple times no earning ratio <laughs> so so you you have to be a little cautious of those companies and it, it, Jeff Bezos in Amazon went for years and years and years and didn't make a dollar but
0: now look, he's making every dollar
1: right now look where you would be if you were in that company I just saw an article that his parents, invested $233,000 when he started up because he had no money. And today that's worth $30 billion. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so you talk about compound growth. That's amazing.
0: That is a fabulous investment, even if they are his parents. Um, yeah. One quick thing I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on. you know I, I know you remember when American Express came out with the credit card And people started, you know, using – back then you had to pay off the Amex every month. You couldn't carry that balance like you can now. What was that like? I mean, were people excited for, you know, when credit cards started happening? Or was that the moment where you felt like everybody was like, okay, everybody's going in debt?
1: No, I had one of the first American Express cards. And it was an incredible convenience because if you traveled, which I did – you couldn't get anyone to take a check in another city. So if you went to New York and you tried to cash a personal check, (laughs) they would laugh you out of the bank. But if you had American Express card and the facility accepted American Express, you could charge it no matter where you were. And then you did have to pay it off at the end of each month. But at least you had the fluidity to um, carry that amount of money for a month before you paid it off. It was an exciting time. And back then, uh, people were more conscious of not creating debt. So everyone felt pretty good about having to pay it off every month, where now people feel pretty bad about that. (laughs)
0: Where do you think that flipped? Was that 70s, 80s? Like When did that sort of happen? Where... All of a sudden, we were just charging everything. Do you remember?
1: I think that really happened in the probably beginning in the late 60s when there were multiple credit cards coming in the marketplace and everyone was trying to provide a better card than the competitor. And so they would let you carry a balance, although it was very costly, as it is now. But I think that's when it started. Uh you know, the banks started entering the marketplace. You know, back then it was Carte Blanche, uh, American Express, a diner's club. That was pretty much it. But then when the banks came into the credit card business, it just kind of exploded.
0: Right. They realized, hey, there's this giant revenue source that we can, Right. Uh, people want to buy stuff. And if we let them buy stuff with this, they won't pay it off and we'll keep earning more and more money. Uh, awesome. Well, this be, this has been incredible. Lots of lessons. I'd love to leave the listeners. Do you have any final thought? Any final you know wisdom for you know someone listening to this podcast, trying to get in better shape with their money, trying to think about their money in a different way? Uh, what what you would tell them?
1: I would say, look, get on the internet. You have the great advantage of the internet. Get on the internet and take some courses on finance and economics and educate yourself so that if you do seek out advice from a financial advisor, you have some idea as to whether you're getting good advice or you're getting bad advice. Uh, But it will also give you some confidence in how you invest and where you invest if you have some fundamental knowledge of how the economy works and of how your personal finances should work but don't always do. And I might add, uh, this is certainly a thrill in doing a podcast with Shauna. Uh, I'm very proud and excited for what she's doing with the podcast and how she's helping educate people in the world of finance.
0: That's probably a good note to leave it on. Thanks so much for checking out this episode of Millennial Money. We'll be back on Tuesday for a brand new episode. As always, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Shauna Game. And if you love this podcast, do me a favor, share it with your friends, shout it out on social media, and head on over to the link in the show notes to leave us a review.